recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christiania Europe. Today is Sunday, August 31st, 2014. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Welcome to the first episode of Christiania Europe with myself and Sven Longshanks. I apologize for not advertising this program more aggressively and far enough in advance. However, I am certain that anyone interested will catch up with us. I am hoping that this program, which for the present time is planned for twice a month, but may expand that schedule, becomes a place where Europeans especially can come and inquire about Christian identity. But of course, white men and women from other places on the globe are just as welcome. The timing isn't very good for our brethren in Australia, but it should be convenient for Americans, Canadians, and others. For this first program, we hope to talk about paganism and Christianity in Europe today. Therefore, I am going to start with some comments from the most prominent nationalist in recent history, Adolf Hitler. Doing that, I may succeed in alienating both pagans and perhaps some Christians, the truth alienates. That's the way it is. First, I'm going to say hello to Sven. Hello, Sven. Hello, Bill. Uh, thanks for uh, inviting me on it. <coughs> oh, thank you for being here. It, it's our program. You're, you're not invited. It's our program. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm pleased to be here anyway. <coughs> and it's good to have you. Adolf Hitler did not think highly of those Germans who attempted to revive artifacts from the ancient stories in order to create some modern religion. In Mein Kampf, in Book 1, in Chapter 12, Adolf Hitler had lambasted the Germanic pagans of his day. He said that, and I quote the Murphy translation, it is entirely out of harmony with the spirit of the nation to keep harping on that far-off and forgotten nomenclature which belongs to the ancient Germanic times and does not awaken any distinct association in our age. He referred to wandering scholars who were peddling Germanic folklore and who never accomplished anything positive or practical except to cultivate their own superabundant self-conceit. He went on to state, that nobody of common sense would appoint to a leading post in such a movement, some Teutonic Methuselah, who had been ineffectively preaching some idea for a period of 40 years. It is typical of such persons that they rant about ancient Teutonic heroes of the dim and distant ages, stone axes, battle spears, and shields, whereas in reality, they themselves are the woefulest poltroons imaginable. For those very same people who brandished Teutonic tin swords that have been fashioned carefully according to ancient models and wear padded bearskins with the horns of oxen mounted over their bearded faces, proclaim that all contemporary conflicts must be decided by the weapons of the mind alone. And thus they skedaddle when the first communist cudgel appears. Posterity will have little occasion to write a new epic on, this heroic on these heroic gladiators. I have seen too much of that kind of people not to feel a profound contempt for their miserable play-acting. To the masses of the nation, they are just an object of ridicule 
but the Jew finds it to his own interest to treat these folklore comedians with respect and to prefer them to real men who are fighting to establish a German state. On the other hand, however, Hitler also condemned the organized Christian religions of his time for contributing to the race mixing which was already going on in Europe rather than working to edify and preserve the stock of the people that had built European civilization. From Mein Kampf, Book 2, Chapter 2, Hitler wrote, Those who do not wish that the earth should fall into such condition must realize that it is the task of the German state, in particular, he's writing for his own time, to see to it that the process of bastardization is brought to a stop. Our contemporary generation of weaklings will naturally decry such a policy and whine and complain about it as an encroachment on the most sacred of human rights. Talking about the right to propagate. But there is only one right that is sacrosanct, and this right is at the same time a most sacred duty. This right and obligation are that the purity of the racial blood should be guarded so that the best types of human beings may be preserved, and that thus we should render possible a more noble development of humanity itself. How devoid of ideals, and how ignoble is the whole contemporary system. The fact that the church is joined in committing this sin against the image of God, even though they continue to emphasize the dignity of that image is quite in keeping with their present activities. They talk about the spirit, but they allow man, as the embodiment of the spirit, to, to, to degenerate to the proletarian level. Then they look on with amazement when they realize how small is the influence of the Christian faith in their own country, and how depraved and ungodly is this riffraff which is physically degenerate and therefore morally degenerate also. To, this balance, to balance this state of affairs, they try to convert the Hottentots and the Zulus and the Kafirs and to bestow on them the blessings of the church, while our European people, God be praised and thanked, are left to become the victims of moral depravity. The pious missionary goes out to Central Africa and establishes missionary stations for Negroes. Finally, sound and healthy, though primitive and backward, people will be transformed under the name of our higher civilization into a motley of lazy and brutalized mongrels. It would, be, it would better accord with noble human aspirations if our two Christian denominations, Lutheran and Catholic, would cease to bother the ne to, would cease to bother the Negroes with their preaching, which the Negroes do not want and do not understand, it would be better if they left this work alone, and if, in its stead, they tried to teach the people of Europe kindly and seriously that it is much more pleasing to God if a couple that is not of healthy stock 
were to show loving kindness to some poor orphan, meaning a German orphan, and become a father and mother to him rather than give life to a sickly child that will be a cause of suffering and unhappiness to all. And Hitler's remarks here on race were a part of a wider general discussion of eugenics. Hitler understood that the Jew finds it to his own interest to treat folklore comedians with respect, referring to the German pagans. While he probably did not really understand the Jewish role in the development of universalist ideas in the medieval Christian churches, he nevertheless understood the Jewish role in the overall endeavor to pollute the blood of Europe. In chapter 11, book 1 of Mein Kampf, where he spoke about the solely economic nature of the Jewish religion, he said, The founder of Christianity made no secret indeed of his estimation of the Jewish people when he found it necessary he drove those enemies of the human race out of the temple of God because then, as always, they used religion as a means of advancing their commercial interests. But at that time, Christ was nailed to the cross for his attitude towards the Jews, whereas our modern Christians enter into party politics and when elections are being held, they debase themselves to beg for Jewish votes. They even enter into political intrigues with the atheistic Jewish parties against the interests of their own Christian nation. It is evident to many of the critics of European governments today that all of our politicians have done this, selling themselves out completely to the economic interests of the Jews in favor of their own political success against the interests of their own respective nations. Note that in Mein Kampf, Hitler professed the understanding that atheistic parties were also Jewish parties. Atheism has been a cloak for Judaism throughout our entire modern history. It's disguised under other names also, such as humanism or science or evolution. Here are four short statements from Adolf Hitler on the race issue. And while Hitler was certainly not an identity Christian, not by any means, he understood that the mentality of Christ was an Aryan mentality opposed to a Jewish mentality, but he was not an identity Christian. Yet all of these statements certainly do reflect Christian identity beliefs concerning race and the Bible. From Book 1, Chapter 2 of Mein Kampf. And so, I believe today that my conduct is in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. In standing guard against the Jew, I am defending the handiwork of the Lord, Genesis 3.15. 
from Book 1, Chapter 8. What we have to fight for is the necessary security for the, for the existence and increase of our race and people, the subsistence of its children, and the maintenance of our racial stock unmixed, the freedom and independence of the fatherland so that our people may be enabled to fulfill the mission assigned to it by the Creator. Book 1, Chapter 10. The sin against blood and race is the hereditary sin in this world, Genesis Chapter 3, and it brings disaster on every nation that commits it. From Mein Kampf Book 2, Chapter 1, to undermine the existence of human culture by exterminating its founders and custodians, Hitler understood the role of the white race in the building of civilization, would be an execrable crime in the eyes of those who believe that the folk idea lies at the basis of human existence kind after kind. Whoever would dare to raise a profane hand against that highest image of God, the white race, among his creatures would sin against the bountiful creator of this marvel and would collaborate in the expulsion from paradise. And that's what they do time after time because of Genesis 3.15, which Hitler did not understand. Hitler was a Christian who cared about his race, which is a, a true Christian ideal. Therefore, he despised the organized churches, which to this day rather blindly promote Jewish universalism and the destruction of race under a pretense of Christianity. But neo-pagan, or, or I should say neo Germanic paganism does not supply the solid moral foundation required in order to sustain a society. Neither did ancient Germanic paganism. And many Germanic tribes turned to Christianity even before they fell under the influence of the Romans, namely the Goths and the Alans. Even the Edit are heavy on posturing and light on the transmission of true ethical or moral values or anything else of actual substance. But from an outsider's perspective, I must say that today's neo-pagans are for the most part giving lip service to Germanic folklore and then they participate fully in Jewish pop culture because that's what it is. Pop culture is Jewish. On the other hand, today's so-called Christian churches are morally bankrupt, and most people have fallen away from them. Those who have not resorted to paganism have nevertheless stayed away and have no moral or folk identity at all. Many of them call themselves cultural Christians, but they have no idea what Christianity truly is. Therefore, Except for a few medieval church trappings, such as may be found in some of the holiday rituals, 
and some of the holiday symbols, having no real religious compass, they also participate fully in Jewish pop culture. Perverting Christianity from within, promoting atheism, paganism, humanism from without, the Jew has everyone believing in nothing of substance, and everyone participates in the Jewish religion of materialism and pop culture as a result. The recent child sex scandals, which we see in England, in Rotherham especially, they are a result of the decadence which follows suit when Christians give up Christ and follow after the Jew. The only effective answer to the Jew and the only effective defense against external threats, such as the Muslim, is a proactive and positive Christianity. This was the Christianity of Adolf Hitler, which the Jews had, and today they obscure it with a million lies that pagans very easily and readily buy into, because it's what they want to hear. This was the Christianity Martel, who saved France and in reality saved all of Europe from the Muslim scourge at the expense of the self-righteous churches of his own time. And they hated him because it cost them their gold, just like today's churches. While Martel fought off were a hindrance rather than being of any assistance to his cause. If it weren't for Charles Martel, the pagan Saxons would all be trying to fly carpets under this very day. Charlemagne eventually defeated them and turned them to Christianity against their will and for their good. The only form of Christianity which stands on a firm moral and historical basis the only form today is what we call Christian identity, which we who have studied it believe is the true Christianity of Christ and the original apostles. It is the only Christianity which stands for God, for morals, and for race. And I hope that this discussion will be the foundation for future discussion here on this program, both now and in the months to come. <clears throat> Still with me. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a great intro introduction there, Bill. I think um, Adolf Hitler had a, had a, a deeper understanding of, of Christianity than a lot of people at his time, actually. Did. I think he foreshadowed Christian identity, especially with his talk about the original sin being the sin of race mixing, and how once that's committed, you're pushed out of the garden forever, 
because the, the miscegenation does it, it pollutes the bloodline forever none of those descendants are ever going to be pure white again they're never going to be an Adamite again they're never going to be uh, a creation that's actually been shaped in the form that God chose for it and I think he you know, he, he realised that and he put it into Christian terms which I think is quite amazing really because I don't think there was anyone else that was doing that at that time but as, as far as the, um, the go, leaning towards pagan um, ideals I think we can blame the failure of the church for that in universalising everything and, and losing our traditions because people yearn after their traditions and they don't realise the strong Christian traditions that we had right back um, in the first and second century to be honest it wasn't that um, the Romans forced this on people especially not in in Britain I mean I can tell you a bit about the the British history with the Christians and the pagans Christianity first came over over here in about 36 AD and it was um, Joseph of Arimathea and he came over the legends say he came over with uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and a few other of the apostles, I think Aristobulus as well. And there are lots of records which show this, British records that, that show this. And there are, there's folklore, there's uh, rhymes that people sing around in Cornwall, around the areas that he was supposed to have been to. He was supposed to have been um, in Glastonbury with the first chapel that was built there. And there's also a strong history uh, with him being in Wales. And there are records king, of the kings, of our kings, that go back to that time that mention this and that mention the land that was given to him. And there's, uh, in 2 Timothy, there's mention of British people in that. And if you look at the records of the first person that... Um, uh, I think Pete, I can't remember if it was Peter or Paul that made the bishop. It was it was a British bishop of Rome. It was a son of one of the British kings. There was a, a British king called Caractacus, I think his name was, and he's he's quite a well known king. And the Romans were fighting against the British at the time. And rather than being beaten in battle and in, and in war he actually went to Rome and formally surrendered and instead of killing him he gave this big speech and said look you know I, I've beaten you and because of this big war you're now going to go down in history as having fought against me so they said okay well we'll have a peace and they let him stay there in Rome and there was like a treaty between the British and Rome and it was his descendants that became the first consecrated person in Rome and the first church that was actually at Rome and it was in, I think, the guy's name, Puden's house. And the chap that married his daughter, there's records of where he lived in Britain. So there's, there's this link between Britain and the apostles from a, from a very early time. And it was only, uh, I think it was about 150 AD, that the British people became the first nation to proclaim themselves as Christian. And this is this is attested to by quite a few of the early church fathers. I think Gildas is is one of them. I've got the quotes from it on um, on my website on my blog. So, so there wasn't a, a fight between the Christians and the pagans. The the British people themselves voted to take Christianity on and to be a Christian nation, 
because they followed what the, what their king wanted them to do. Because it wasn't like nowadays when we're being ruled from above with what's in the best interests of of the state. The king would do what was in the best interests of his people, and he he. It was kings and princes that became Christians, first of all. It wasn't like a, a revolt of the peasant class. It was, it was the kings and the princes and the um, aristocracy at the time. And the aristocracy at the time were the most intelligent people. They were, they were great warriors and they were, they were wise people. And Britain at, the, at that time was the centre of Druidry. All the Druidic colleges were in Britain. So you had all the people from Gaul, all the top people from Gaul would come over to Britain to be taught. It was a real centre centre of culture at the time, and the, and the Romans were messing that up by coming over here and trying to fight against us. But these Druids saw in Christianity; they saw that it was it was a, a natural evolution of what they had been doing anyway. So you ended up with the first archbishops in Britain all being archflamens of the Druidic order, because what the what the Druids were doing it was not that different to what Christianity was. Was preaching. I think that why we still have um, the idea of the Trinity today, that goes back to the Druids having the Trinity themselves. But they only ever believed in one God. Yeah, they, they weren't worshipping um, nature. They, they saw nature as being uh, representations of the power of God. Now, they tell us that, that we, there isn't very much information about the, about the Druids, but there's plenty of information about the Druids, but it's written in Welsh. It's written in the Welsh language, because they've, they've tried to suppress a lot of our history. They, they even got tried to ban people speaking in Welsh. They banned them from learning in Welsh. And, and that's because the, the Welsh have got uh, know more about this history than the rest of the British. And when the Normans came, they tried to say that um, they tried to give the Anglo-Saxons more, more of a role than they actually had. Because when the Anglo-Saxons came over, which was in the 6th or the 7th century, that was when emissaries from Rome came over to try and push the Roman church onto the British people. But we'd already had our Celtic church since the 1st century. And so we proclaimed ourselves a Christian nation in about 150 AD. And one of the reasons why you know that, it, that people are happy with this is because to actually change the religion of a country was one of only three things that had to have a unanimous vote in order to, to be done. So, you know, the, the people were right behind this. And there are also there are no marches in Britain. There, was, there are no Christians that were put to death by pagans for... Um, refusing to worship gods or for falling out with people, because it, it was similar to what we were doing anyway. And you've got, um, there's a famous quote by Taliesin and the Bard from the 6th century, who says that um, Christianity was a new thing in Asia, but there never was a time that the British people weren't following it. So, you know, it was just an, an extension of, of what we already had. And if you look at our, um, we've got loads of stone circles and, uh, standing stones and of course in the Old Testament there are dozens of verses about these standing stones and, and stone circles and, and the um, cairns that we have and in the in the Old Testament it says when you build an altar you must never use a metal tool on it and these altars temples stone circles that we have none of them have had metal tools used on them and none of them have ever had any idols found around them because there's this thing about not worshipping idols, that you know the Druids weren't idol worshippers. They weren't like these 
um, Middle Eastern pagans that had these big statues of their gods that they were worshipping. We didn't have any of that. We knew that um, God didn't live within a statue and that, that God lived within us. So when you hear about the Romans putting these Christians to death because they refused to bow down to their idols, you know, that wasn't necessarily a Christian thing. I mean, that was a British thing. The British people would never have bowed down before an idol either because they would have seen that as foreign gods. What the Romans' gods, Jupiter and Apollo and the rest of them, they, the British people would have seen them as foreign gods and not wanted to bow down to them. And where Britain was the centre of Druidry, it was the centre of all the Druidic colleges, this would have stood for um, Gaul and Germany and the areas around there as well, which became known as Germany and France, because their people would have come to Britain to, to learn these things. So I think it's um, this promoting the idea that, that there was an organised pagan religious belief that they had which was antagonistic to the original Christianity I think I think is wrong as you said earlier Charlemagne put down these um, Anglo-Saxons but they were they were rebels anyway it wasn't so much their religion that why they needed to put them down it was because they were a rebellious political faction and that didn't happen until the 8th century so you'd already had 800 years of uh, Christianity in in northern Europe gradually spreading and it wasn't spread by the swords there were the um there were single missionaries that were sent out from the juridic colleges in britain and in ireland and they converted the whole of gaul and they converted them by <clears throat> by their example by leading by example they didn't go out there trying to force people to uh, catch go along with their beliefs they spoke to them and explained about how this was a fulfilment of, of what had gone on before. Like we read in the Bible, you have the New Testament is a fulfilment of the Old, and the Old Testament contains the kernel of the New within it. Well, the, our old religion, the old Druidic religion, contains the kernels of the New religion within it, which is why we accepted it and, and took it on. So it's our heritage. Christianity is white, it's European, and it's, it's a lie to say that it's Jewish or that the, the Jews tried to um, bring this over here because we didn't even have any Jews in Britain until the 10th century. No Jews came into Britain until the 10th century. So you had Christianity for a thousand years by then and the people that brought it over were, were the apostles. And they, they weren't Jews. They weren't hook-nosed kikes. You know, they were, they were white Aryan people. They were aristocracy and they were given land by our, by our king at the time and we've got the records of this. So you know, we'd be taught a very, very, we're being taught something by the churches and by the modern establishment, which isn't what happened. And common sense and logic tells you that our ancestors did not suddenly take on this a, a Jewish religion. They wouldn't have done. You know, our ancestors wouldn't bow down to foreign gods. They're not going to accept a, a foreign religion. I mean, it's like that's like thinking that we're all going to accept Islam now. You know, we wouldn't. We're patriotic. It, it, we're, we're against this foreign religion being forced on us. And it was the same back then. So you know, I, thought, I really think that as European people, we need to put our foot down and say, no, you know, this, this is our religion, this is our heritage, and the pagan stuff was a part of our history. And it's, I don't think it should be seen as being against Christianity, because Christianity grew from it. That's like saying, oh, I'm against what I was like when I was a child. 
you know, the child grows into an adult, and our pagan beliefs grew into our Christian beliefs. So I think it's disingenuous to to pit the two groups one against the other. You know, it's just um, the, the way that I feel that I feel about it. Well, well, let, let me say a few things in response to that. I, I, I don't. I don't dismiss the, the the traditions of Glastonbury. Don't get me wrong, but but we don't need them. And 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 some of the British Israel writers did a lot of accurate work in that area, but went a little too far sometimes, being overzealous. And I'm going to talk about that when I present Romans chapter 16 on, on my Christogony Internet Radio program in a few weeks. I'm not going to belittle it, however. There is some truth to the Glastonbury stories that there's no doubt. But it is absolutely historically verifiable from ancient sources, and you're correct to say so, that there are Christian kingdoms in Britain as early as the second century, and, and probably before that, but we could document them to the second century. That, that is demonstrable. There are the, um, not only in Britain, but the Goths, or at least a great number of the Goths, and the Alans were Germanic tribes living north of the um, Caucasus Mountains and around the Black Sea in the 2nd and 3rd centuries AD, and they were voluntarily converted to Christianity at a very early time well before Rome had accepted Christianity. And this is written about, the, the, the Christianity of the Gossini Islands is recorded by Procopius in the 6th century and by other early writers. And, and there is no doubt that these Germanic tribes were Christian, they were voluntarily Christian, and they were of a type of Christianity which was adverse to generally accepted Christianity in, in, in Rome. And, and that, that alone proves they were Aryan Christians, and that alone proves that they did not get their Christianity from Rome. But it's very demonstrable in, in ancient sources that they were converted to Christianity voluntarily and independently of Rome or Byzantium. Now, the Goths and the Alans are only notable early examples. Many of the Germanic tribes had actually converted to Christianity voluntarily. And Bede, in, in the 8th century, he records the Celtic church. He records the differences that they had with the Roman church. He records their independent formation and he records that they, the Celtic Church, had missionaries in, in Gaul and in Germany promoting their version of Christianity at a very early time. Now, Bede was writing in the 8th century AD, but he's recording things that transpired over several hundred years, from as early as the 4th, and he records all of these things in connection with that history. So the Celtic Church was independent from Rome. It, it, it grew independently from Rome, and, and it was never under the dominion of, of the Roman Pope or the Roman Church, I think until the 13th century, when the English 
forced the Celtic Church to submit to Rome. I believe that was in the 13th century, if I'm not mistaken. Now, the, the Roman Church, that there was no pope at all until the time of Constantine in the 6th century. And there were many Greek Christians, Roman Christian, Aryan white people who forsook paganism knowing that Christianity was the better path. In history, in identity, identity Christians, most identity Christian pastors, the ones with any sense, can demonstrate to one degree or another that most of these peoples in Europe actually came from the Middle East and from Mesopotamia. And it was their destiny, according to ancient writings, to accept Christianity. And that's part of the Bible story. The pagans and, and others who reject Christianity today are rejecting a Christian. They're rejecting an image of Christianity which has been propagated by the enemies of Christ and by the Jews. And everything they think they know about Christianity comes through Jewish filters. They really know nothing about Christianity because the Jews are only perverters of ancient history, of everything scriptural, of archaeology, and especially of Christianity. So that these pagans that reject identity Christianity and modern Christians, they themselves are victims of the Jews, and they don't even know it. And, and, and a lot of them, I know, are too obstinate to study these issues and find that out for themselves. They're the people that we would like to try to reach on this program and discuss these things with. You know, that would be good. I, I can expand on um, <clears throat> some of that that you were, you were saying then about, about the Roman church build. I mean, the, originally there was just one church, and within it were these various groups that eventually became known as the Roman Catholic, the Eastern Orthodox, and the Celtic Church. And they were all sort of together within one church. They're all seen as, as equals, and you had the... Um, Bishop of Rome, the Bishop of Constantinople, the Bishop of Antioch, or the Metropolitans, they were called, and they were all seen as as equals. And there's a <coughs> there's a, a famous quote which says that in Britain you would hear it was a different church, but it was the same faith. They were talking a different language, but they had exactly the same scriptures, and it was exactly the same faith as it was in Constantinople. And I think this is from about the fourth century, <coughs> so it was very early on that we had this Christianity, <clears throat> but it wasn't Gnostic Christianity, it wasn't a perversion of Christianity, it was it was true, truthful Christianity, basically. I think Christian identity is the closest that we can get to it today. <clears throat> but there was a, an agreement between all these, um, these various factions. They, they didn't agree on, on everything, but they didn't fall out. And it wasn't until um, 1056 that there was a great schism and you had the it was mainly because the pope wanted to be seen as the leader of the whole church he didn't want to be on the same level as the metropolitan of antioch and the metropolitan of um, constantinople he wanted to be seen as 
over all, all the church. So there was a, a big schism then in, in 10, 10, about 1056, I think it was. And before that, Britain had never been um, subservient to the Pope. All we had was we had um, the Court of Highest Ecclesiastical Appeal, which was in Constantinople. So if we had a matter of, of law that we were deciding, you could appeal to Constantinople. But we never paid taxes to the Pope or anything like that. In Alfred the Great, the famous Anglo-Saxon king, and it says in, in the life of Alfred the Great that he never had to pay taxes to the uh, to the Pope. He was absolved of that. And that's the reason why, because he wasn't part of the Roman, Roman Church. He was allied with the Eastern Orthodox. And there are, you can see there are certain rituals that they do in um, that book which show you that it, there are, uh, England was aligned with what became the Eastern Orthodox rather than what became the Roman Catholic. And then in um, 1066, which was just a decade after this big split between the church, which split the church in two, there was a Norman invasion. And the Normans came over to, to Britain and they, they trashed the place, they trashed England and everybody had to sort of retreat to Wales. And the, the Anglo-Saxons were only just sort of getting on with the Celts by this time. And then you've got the Normans coming in to attack them. And basically what the Normans did, they replaced every single Anglo-Celtic priest bar two in the entire country. So they replaced the whole priesthood and they, they changed all the um, all the customs that we had. And then they started building up these great big palaces for the bishops and making people pay lots of money to these bishops with their great big palaces. And that was, that was the start of the resenting of the church was when that happened with this Norman invasion. And the Normans, when they came over, William the Bastard Usurper, his name is, or William the Conqueror, when he came over, he brought the Jews with him. This was the first time that the Jews had ever set foot in Britain. And he brought these Jews over as uh, tax collectors. So you had this new church being forced on us, and you had these Jews which turned up that were um, basically doing what is the same, exactly the same as the Jews do today. They were lending out money and repossessing people's houses. I mean, it was only a, a couple of centuries before the Jews had to be expelled again, which was in 1290 by, um, by the king at that, at that time, I think King Edmund. He, uh, him finally got rid of them. But we had 200 years of hell up, up until that point. And that, when they did this to the church, that was that sowed the seeds for the destruction that came with um, Cromwell, again, who was funded by the Jews. And Cromwell came and they smashed up all these churches, these great big palaces that the bishops had had. Because we did have good, fantastically built churches before then, but we didn't have these rich, luxurious bishops that were ripping the people off that were living in them. You know, we had um, these fantastically built churches with intricate carvings. If you're lucky, there's a few places around where you can still see these um, remnants from these churches that go back to the 4th and 5th century. And you can, you can see what they were like, because they, they used to build these huge crosses, like 10-foot-high Celtic crosses, like with um, swastika patterns all over them. And, you get, and you've, got, um, you've got runic language. I know the pagans like always... Not all of them, but, but a, lot of, it's like, a lot of the time I hear people say, well, oh, well, the SS were pagan or they were satanic because they used runes. Well, the runes were just our old alphabet. We, we used to have Bibles written in runes. We, we've got runes on Christian crosses going uh, 
right way back for millennia. So we've got this is our heritage. Christianity is our uh, is our heritage, and, and it's written in stone all around me in, in um, Britain. It's, you know, I can see all this all around me. But I, you know, I just wanted to expand on that bit there about what actually happened to the church and where the roots of this um, this dislike of the church actually actually started and where it, where it came from <clears throat> with the Norman invasion. Well, well, there's no doubt that Christianity is our heritage. And, and for us to belittle, for us, when I say us, I mean people of Anglo-German or, or, or British descent and, and Germanic descent, and, and that includes a, a, a wide swath of Europeans. For us to belittle Christianity, we are actually spitting in the face of, of in the faces of, of 2,000 years of our ancestors who accepted Christianity, and 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 we're forsaking them now. When they were pagans, and most of them. There were some tribes in Europe that Christianity was forced upon, like Charlemagne and the Saxons. But if we examine the history of, of, of the Saxons on the continent before the time of Charlemagne, the Saxons were destroying, raping, looting, pillaging other white people. If we had Saxons around today, we would be shooting at them. Because... They were destroying their fellow Europeans, their fellow uh, other Germanic tribes, like the, the Franks, the Lombards, and, and so forth. So the Saxons had Christianity forced on them, but it was for their own good. The greater number of the peoples of Europe, even though they may have retained some of their pagan rites, and, and, well, which they've been doing for centuries out of custom, the Yuletide, the Maypole, and, and, and festivals and things like that, they still accepted Christianity and its basic moral precepts and its basic teachings concerning God and creation, and they accepted it voluntarily. It was never forced on them. So for, for people today to despise those things that their ancestors accepted and held on to for so long, they're basically spitting in the face of their own ancestors. And, and that's a plank of the Communist Manifesto. That's in the Protocols of Zion, that the Jew wants to destroy our roots so that he can enslave us. And these neo-pagans and these other people who reject Christ have subscribed to the will of the Jew. While they claim, on the other hand, to despise the Jew. So, so the Jew has a faith because these clowns won't investigate real history and, and see what Christianity did for Europe as a people once it unified them, for the most part, at least culturally and religiously. There were always um, disputes between kings, usually over territory. There were always Jewish bankers in the background, 
subverting kingdoms and, and encouraging kings to invade places where they shouldn't have been. But for the most part, Europe created the greatest civilization that's existed on a planet under the Christian moral system and under the Christian God. So to despise that today, no wonder we're in the position that we're in. We're, we're, we're no better off today than we were in, in, in the dark ages of pagan Europe. But when the Jews had their way. A lot, a lot of, a lot, say, a lot of the um, customs that we had back then, the reason why we still got them today is because Christianity expanded upon them. And these um, festivals, like they talk about, like, well, like you mentioned, like Yule and Midsummer and Beltane, they're, they're all to do with planting the fields and, and harvesting the fields and getting to the middle of the, the winter so you can see how much food you've got left. And it's all to do with certain times of the year to do with farming. We're, we're arable people. We're, we're, we are farmers. We've always been farmers. And in one of these, one of the traditions that um, still lasts through to this day were the sacred wells, the healing wells. And all across Britain, you've got the sacred wells that are, are part of the um, church churchyards, or they're, or they're away from the church nearby to it. These are holy wells where people are supposed to be able to get healed. And a lot of the places where they built these churches, the really early churches, they weren't built um, in the middle of a village, so it was easy to get to. They were built in the most sacred place. They were built in the same place that um, people had always gone there to worship before, in these open um, temples. They weren't really temples. We call them temples now. They weren't really temples. The Druids had these, these stone circles. because They, they knew that um, you couldn't put God inside a box but they knew that they needed somewhere to go to show their worship and have their meetings and what have you. And these special places is where a lot of these churches were, were built. And they didn't um, break down the stone circles or the stones that were nearby. They sort of they built near to them because it was just a gradual change through to Christianity. As I say, it was seen, it was seen as, a, as, as, a, um, as superior to what they had. You're not going to accept something unless you believe it to be superior to um, the last thing that you had. You know, our, people, our ancestors didn't accept uh, Christianity because it was weak. It, it made them strong. Uh, as you say, and this is how we built um, Europe, because we were just tribes until we became Christian. Once we had Christianity, that united us into nations, and we had separate nations. In the, in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, it refers to the, the invading Vikings as the pagans and the defending um, Anglo-Saxons as the Christians. So we, we refer to ourselves as a nation, as, as the Christians, as a Christian nation. That was what united us in, in defeating these foes. And of course now, where we're living in this, this post-Christian modern society that's completely fractured, we've got nothing that can unite us together to help us to defend these foes and yet we can look out um, at these uh, Muslims who are non-white, they don't have the spirit that we have, yet they are able to get together and unify and do what um, the nutcases ISIS are doing out in Iraq because they have this religion that binds them all together, that unites them. Can you imagine what we would be like 
if if we had our religion binding us all together, you know, we'd be unstoppable, completely unstoppable. You know. Well, well, the the, the Muslim religion religion is able to bond these alien bastards together in in a manner that allows them to continually rape. 1,400 white children in Rotherham yeah. over a six-year period, and nobody yeah. checks on them. Yeah, there's that as well. well this, is, this is it. This is the, the only reason they're able to do that is because Christianity has fallen apart in our country. If, if Christianity hadn't fallen apart in our country, there would be no Islam in Britain. There was no Islam in Britain in the time of the Crusades. There's no Muslims coming over here then. We would fought them back. Fought them right, right back, back out of Spain and, and back into the Middle East. Well, whenever our people depart from their Christian God and Christian morals, they suffer for it. And the Muslims are a scourge against them and, and a reproach because they departed from Christ. There's no doubt in, in, in my worldview and in, in what I know of the history of religion and our people. There's no doubt. The um, all of Britain, all of France, and and Germany's next, and and Scandinavia is being overrun. Aside from what's going on in America, I never, as a youth, e even though I understood as a youth the race issue in America, I never comprehended that this could happen in Europe, so especially so quickly. And and it has in a very short period. So, so we have basically um, these alien people in Britain that are feeding on, on the British people, and the British people are, are hopeless to do anything about it, and the cops won't blow the whistle because they're afraid to be called racist. And, and that's exactly what's gone on this past week in Missouri, and, and what the Jewish-controlled media in America does Every time a white cop shoots a Negro, it's the greatest crime in history. And what their aim is, is to feminize white American police officers so that they don't arrest these nigger beasts and are afraid to take action against them. That's what this Michael Brown thing is all about. It's about neutralizing American law enforcement to make it just as feminized as, as British law enforcement also already is against these aliens. That the aliens can get away with anything they want because a white cop is going to be afraid to shoot a nigger because he doesn't want to be the center of a media uproar, whether it's justified or not. That's what Michael Brown is all about. So that we have Rotherhams all over America, too. And, and aliens devouring American children at will. Because the cops will be afraid to do anything about it. That's the situation in England right now. 1,400 kids. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but it's a, it's a, it's a very good and recent example of what's going on with these other races as a result of whites having forsaken their moral values. Without Christianity, we have no morals. 
and and this is the result. Right, it comes from forsaking the, the most important one, which is love your neighbor as yourself, which means love your nation. It doesn't mean love the alien. And this has all come about through a through a, a warping of of that law, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And it, they've warped that into meaning love your enemy as yourself and bring him into your country and allow him to rape your children. And this is what the church are preaching. This is what the establishment church is, is actually preaching. They are saying that we should be bringing in more of these people. We should be allowing in more of these these refugees. These refuse is, is, is what they are. You know, we, we are supposed to be a peculiar people living apart from all these, these other races. And you can look to the proof of what it would be like if we were living apart from these other races just by looking at Germany, in, um, in Hitler's Germany, and looking at the advances that they made. I think there were, um, I forget how much it was, two, two stories of, or, of um, patents, paper patents, that they took when um, they went into Germany and stripped Germany of uh, everything they could. Germany was 50 years ahead of the rest of the world, and the reason for that was that they had a homogenous nation. That it was just the German people working together with the German people. They had, you know, it, and it would be the same today if we could get rid of the non-whites from within our nations. You would suddenly see that you, the, your life expectancy would go up, crime would go down, and innovation would go through the roof because we would suddenly start getting these inspiring ideas and people would be inspired to to do these things and improve these things. And all of that comes down to that essential commandment of love your neighbour as yourself, love your race, love your nation. It, you know, it's so simple. It's, it just seems to me so simple. And the message of white nationalism is the same. It is love your race. And yet, here we go, you've got Christ saying this 2,000 years ago. But it's now it's been warped by the church. They have they've completely warped that into it meaning love your enemy, love your your competitor, your competitor for territory. Love the non-white, love the beast. Loving loving the beast is what the establishment church um, preaches today, rather than love your neighbour. Well, well, that's exactly how they that they've convinced people that their neighbours are, are those within their geographic approximation rather than those who are close to them in kindred and in race that that's um what well, well that's a failure of the churches it's a failure of the educational system but but that's all engineered by the Jew also it's in reality a failure of the people because they should be responsible for educating themselves whether or not they attend a, a, a state approved school and, and people have failed to do that because they're caught up in Jewish entertainments rather than in, in, in caring and, and providing for their own. People go home at night from work and, and rather than tend to their families, they plop their asses down in front of a television set or go to a Jew movie and, and get their entertainment or watch football. It, it's, um, it's sad. That's the state of our people. Before television, people were much more industrious. The, the, there's another cognitive disconnect with what you mentioned, and, and that's the um, German ability for scientific advan advance when it was a homogenous and, and um, c 
Christian nation, and, and, and the Jews convinced people that the Germans were able to invent all those things because they had evil designs on the rest of the world. And, and they turned that upside down to their advantage. It, it's, there's no end to the big lie, no doubt. If you don't mind, I'm going to take a caller real quick. Uh, Massachusetts has been on a line for a good portion of the day. And I'd like to give him the opportunity to speak if he wants. Yeah, good idea. <clears throat> Hello, Massachusetts. Hello. No, maybe he doesn't want to say anything. Maybe he's just listening. That happens sometimes, too. If anybody who is already, um, any of the Europeans especially, but I'll take a call from anyone, is um, on my Skype contacts and cannot call TalkShoe and wants to drop me a note on Skype, I'll be glad to add them to this call. Just drop me a note on Skype. Well, well, Sven, you get, um, I know on a daily stormer, I, I don't get there very often. I, I'm sorry, I'm just tied up. I would like to get there more often. And in the comment sections on a daily stormer, you run into a lot of, um, pagans and, and um, other types of Christians like these kinists and people like that, and, and you're always engaging with them. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of debate goes on in the, in the comment section there. A lot of the time it's re repeating yourself. I mean, the most obvious thing that people put in there is someone will say, oh, Jesus is a Jew, or Christianity is Jewish, and then you have to explain why that isn't so. Yeah, I don't mind explaining it, but then when if people continue to do it, then that's not very polite. It's like when you get um, pagan Bible experts that will try and uh, tell you what the translation, what, what a verse is saying, and then you put it in context for them, show them that um, their understanding of it is actually wrong, uh, and then you know they shouldn't really go on repeating it then. I mean, one of the favourite ones is um, that people tend to bring up is the one about there being no, no Jew or Gentile. Uh, they're all one in Christ, no male and female, and from Galatians. And so, well, if you read the next um, next verse on from that, where it says no Judah or, or um, Greek, you're all one in Christ, it, it says that uh, only if you're a son of Abraham's can you be of Christ. So it's saying that the Judahites and the Greeks were descended from Abraham, because both the Judahites and the Greeks were both white people. And this is this is you know, this is this is another reason what we I mean we haven't actually I think you might have said it earlier, but the reason why Christianity is ours is because we are descended from the people from the Old Testament, and that can be clearly shown by uh, looking back at what's said in the Old Testament and looking back. At our records as well. 
A lot of the pagan types would say, well, we come from the north, we've always been in the north, but our oldest records, our British records, our English brutes and the Welsh brutes tell us that we came from the summer lands. We came from, you know, these hot lands, these warm lands. And there are various uh, historians, secular historians, a good one to look into is Alan Martin, a secular historian, and he says that we came... Our oldest history books tell us that we came from the area around Syria. And the uh, old alphabet, the Colburn alphabet, is Welsh. It's Hebrew. It's, you can trace that back to, it, to being ancient Hebrew. And that's why uh, it was so such an easy trans, trans, um, transformation from Druidry to Christianity is because the Druidry that we had was an offshoot of the old Hebrew religion anyway. And if you look back at uh, William Stukeley, who wrote about the Druids, he, he said this, he quite clearly said this, that the, the similarities between what, how the, the Druids were, how they dressed, uh, what their sacrifices were, it, it would be impossible for them not to actually be linked with, this, with the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament. And that the Levitical priesthood was hereditary, which is the same as the Brahmin priesthood of the um, Aryan Hindus, and the Celtic Church's priesthood was hereditary as well. These uh, Druids that were the priests, it was their sons that then became the priests of our original Celtic Church, the Kaldi Church, and that lasted right the way up until um, when William the Conqueror came over and, and, and destroyed the church here. So I think Christian identity has got to be so, it's got to be the closest that we can actually get to what the faith was of the original Celtic church, our original beliefs and understanding. Because our old history tells us that that's where we came from, that we came from that area around Syria and the Middle East, Brutus of Troy. Of course, our, um, our, our modern establishment historians said that Troy never happened. It was all a fantasy. It's a, a Homer just made it up. And of course then they discovered the, the remains of the place, but they didn't change and say, oh well hang on a minute, maybe our oldest histories are actually correct then. Because all our old history books say that, that, that we came from, from Brutus of Troy. Brutus was descended from um, Dada and Calcol, who are written about in the Bible, who are descended from Judah, from the, the kingly line of Judah. So this is why we took on Christianity, because it's for us, it's not for anyone else, it's not for any other races, specifically for us. And I don't, and when they went to, um, when the missionaries went to Ethiopia and, and founded the church there, it had to have been white people that they went over there to um, preach to about it. They weren't preaching to the beasts over there. Because in the New Testament, Paul warns against having these brute beasts that are feasts of charity. And the, the, the very term itself, brute beasts, Josephus uses it as well, Flavius Josephus, to talk of Negroes. That's what they called Negroes, brute beasts. So if you've got the in the New Testament, it's saying, do not allow these brute beasts anywhere near you in, in the faith, then obviously they weren't going to be going out there preaching to them. So when you hear that there's... Um, the church was going out to Ethiopia and 
fourth and fifth century. It wasn't so that they could convert Negroes. It can't have been, because it specifically says not to. Now, I don't know how the um, how the modern establishment church today explains those verses that talk about the beasts, but if you look at, at um, other works that were written around that time, as I say, Flavius Josephus, that, that's what they're specifically referring to, is Negroes. I do not know. I mean, there might be one somewhere, but I do not know of one attempt on the part of any Christians, any white Europeans, to convert people of other races to Christ until the Jesuits had infiltrated, and other crypto-Jews, had infiltrated and taken control of the church in Rome in, in the 15th century. They were killing Muslims. They weren't trying to convert them. They were running them off. They, they were trying to recover their lands and, and, and peoples and recover what the Muslims had taken. They, they were um, killing Turks. They were killing Mongols. They weren't trying to convert them to Christianity. They were trying to run them off of their land and, and, and repulse them from, from entering Europe. So, so this, this, this idea of... of um, trying to convert these that these non-white heathens to Christianity, I, I don't think it really came into vogue until the period of colonization in, in South America and, and the Spaniards and, and um, the popes encouraging the conversion of these people so that they could control them. And, and that's when the conversion of aliens to Christianity started, as a matter of imperialism, not really as a matter for Christ, not at all. They may have sold it to the natives that way, but that, that wasn't the, um, the, the purposes were imperial and political. They were not related to salvation and, and, and the word of God, not at all. And the Word of God does not support the conversion of aliens to Christianity. Not at all. So that, that, that's debatable in another arena. But, but amongst identity Christians, it's not debated. So. And, and it shouldn't be debated amongst biblical students. Students who actually understand the historical context of the Scripture rather than read, reading one verse at a time, which is what the universalists do. Read one verse at a time and use it to refute other verses. Yeah, you need to read entire chapters. And this is what I, what I come across a lot, is just, as we were mentioning earlier in the, in the comment sections, is people will bring up one verse and... And then, to, and then just focus on that one verse. But there, there's always something else in that in that chapter. If you look at the whole chapter, which will expand on it, and um, usually say something quite different to to what the um, supposed expert was trying to put across. And it's just the, the main um, allegation that seems to get said is that. Uh, Christianity is Jewish or that Jesus was a Jew. Well, Jesus said to the Jews that their father was the devil. 
the lusts of his father they will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and the master of lies. So he was saying to them specifically, you have a different father to me. And he also said to them that they couldn't hear his voice because they had a different father. And you get these verses brought up where he seems to be saying to them, well, if you do this, you'll, you can get into heaven. But he, he's, he, he's like daring them to do that because he knows full well they can't, because it's impossible for them to. You have to look at these verses in, with, with, as a whole. You have to take the Bible as a whole. You can't just pull bits out from it and, and try and make a doctrine out of it or, or try and understand it. It has to be understood as, as a whole. And anything that's not from directly from kind after kind, anything that's um, an abomination of nature that's been made from mixing two different kinds together is not of God. It's a, work, it's a work of the devil. The Jews are the work of the devil. We're a Mongol people. So you, when people try and say, well, well Jesus he was a Jew, he clearly wasn't a Jew. If you say a Judean, they, they say, oh, well, he was a Judean. Well, he wasn't. He was a, he was a Galilean. He was a citizen of Galilee. He was a Judahite, which meant that he was descended from uh, Judah, which was one of the twelve tribes of Israel, and his his disciples were Benjamites. But these people today that are called Jews, they they are Mongol people. They're half Khazarian, half Turkish. They've got Edom in there because this this was a thing a few centuries before Christ was born. Edom. The descendants of Esau, who were the, the, the mortal enemies of Israel in the Bible, the Judahites converted them at the sword, brought them in with their people, and a large portion of them interbred with these people. And these Edomites then became known as Jews. They infiltrated the priesthood. King Herod was one of these. They became the majority of the Pharisees. And these were the people that, that Jesus was warning against. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't an Edomite Jew. He was a Galilean d- descended from Judah. And these people today that call themselves Jews, they're, they're, they're bastardized people. They're, they're not descended from Judah. They're, they're bastards. They're illegitimate descendants. They might be illegitimate descendants from Mongolized marriages that, that might go all the way back there, you know, at a, at a, ta- at a um, tenuous link to them, a very, very tenuous link to them. But anything that's not a legitimate descendant is a bastard. Uh, and the whole Bible is about uh, sons and bastards and, and wheat and tares. And the, the Jews, are just, you know, they're, they're the enemy. And they're the enemy right, right way through the New Testament. So when these pagans say, oh, well, Christianity is Jewish, well, the Bible is the only book to name the Jew as the enemy. It's the only book to tell you how to defeat the enemy as well. Now, where does it talk about Jews in, in um, the pagan books? Well, for start, pagans don't really have any books like there is a Bible. And the, the reason we do have information on what our old beliefs were is because the monks wrote it down. They saw that it was worth preserving because it was our heritage, because it was part of our history. They weren't writing it down because, say, well, this is superior, we should be going back to following this, because Christianity was was the progression from that. As I was saying earlier, it's like trying to go back to being a child again once you're an adult. You can't go back to being a child again once you're an adult. 
We can't right. go back to being pagans again. Now we're Christians. We have no idea what it... Our whole state of mind is different to how we, how we were back then 2,000 years ago. Our whole consciousness has changed through becoming a Christian nation. And, and to try and go back to that back then, it's just, it's not possible. It's yeah, see, um, the, the failure of white nationalists, and, and especially many prominent white nationalists, their greatest failure it is to take for granted the claims of the Jews concerning the Bible and their own identity. And even if, well, well, let me put it this way. I can understand if a white nationalist was reluctant to accept my claims concerning the origins of the people of Europe. They should not, they should absolutely not be reluctant to accept my assertions concerning the identity of the Jews because those assertions, which many identity Christians can detail, those assertions are so well recorded in the pages of classical historians, in, in the pages of Josephus, who the Jews claim is their own, but who was not one of them, in the pages of Josephus and in the pages of the New Testament, that these people calling themselves Jews, were not, in fact, were not Israelites, were not even Judah, and had mixed in with so many other tribes, like the Khazar Arabs, that the, the um, Negroes being brought into Algeria by Arab slave traders, and, and this goes back to, to, to um, the, the earliest centuries of the Christian era, the Jews have mixed in with so many other since the time of Christ. And even prominent white nationalists who understand the, the Khazar story will still give Jews the, the credence that they're Israel and that the Old Testament is their book. And, and it's impossible. It's utterly impossible. And, and white nationalists... Most of them won't even come around on that issue and admit that for those reasons that the Bible is not a Jewish book. So, so if you can't get them to see what's right in front of their faces and change their way of thinking to match the facts, we're never going to convince them of anything else. But some of them, in my esteem, are being purposely dishonest. Because they should know better. And they've admitted certain elements of the story in their own lectures. But they still won't come all the way. And at least admit that Jews cannot be the people of, of the Old Testament. And the Bible is therefore not a Jewish book. It, it's... It, it's it's tantamount to thinking that the United States Constitution, Constitution, what was written by niggers, because niggers live in in, in Washington D.C. today, and is a nigger in the White House. So the Constitution must have been written by niggers, and and it must be a Negro book. It, it's the same thing, and, and we could see it right in front of our faces, and we could see it in all these historical records. 
but they won't change their thinking to match the facts. And if men can't change their thinking in a co to, to, to conform themselves to established facts or, or to facts that are highly provable, that then that they're lost in their agendas and they could continue living the lie. That, that's the challenge. And, and, and it's... Um, it's a difficult challenge for men to, to for men to meet to actually reform your mind in in accordance with what with facts newly discovered. So white nationalists, they're still most white nationalists are still the children that you describe in a lot of ways. They won't. They refuse to grow up. They're kicking and screaming, and they won't grow up. So they're never going to know the truth. And they're never going to succeed in anything. Their white nationalism is never going to do them any good when their paradigm is, it is a house of cards. Well, this is the thing with uh, Hitler. He looked to with Providence all the time. He was guided by Providence. He knew that he had God on his side and what he was doing. That's why he was a, he was a success. And he took on the whole world, basically, just smaller Germany, or he had to in the end, look at everything that he, that he fought against, and the incredible things that he did. And he knew that he had God on his side. And he, 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 you can read Mein Kampf, you can see so many um, references in that, unspecific references, like sort of references that you wouldn't realize were there unless you're actually a Christian yourself, or know the Bible yourself. It's obvious from reading it um, how much he knew of of. Christianity, and that's why that movement was a success, because it was based on Christian principles. Well, well by, all, by all accounts, Hitler was a great success, and it was the, the Anglo-American world that destroyed him, and, and they did the bidding of the Jew. They did the bidding of the devil. They were in the wrong. They are the criminals. And, and, and that's Shame on us. And that's another thing that even many identity Christians refuse to understand and still hold a love for American imperialism and British imperialism, even though those nations destroyed their own Germanic brethren. And that's, a, that, that's the crime of the century. That's the crime that defines modern times more than any other in, in my esteem. And, and that's why we're living with Jewish domination today. We've enslaved ourselves to the Jews by agreeing to destroy our brethren on the continent in behalf of the Jews. So we deserve the, the, to reap the, the fruits that we ourselves have sowed. Yeah, we have to live through the, the punishment. And I right. think the only thing what you can really do is is change your individual self and your individual way that you go about living your life and how you how you do things and, and how you are yourself and reject everything to do with the Jew. And that's what that's what we can do. But the idea that we're you know, I mean, if we're lucky, I mean, especially, I mean, here I am in Britain, if I'm, the only hope we've got is, um, is UKIP, basically. We've got no other, um, 
vaguely national, well, they're only vaguely nationalist, but we've got no other nationalist group which is likely to be able to take power politically. But that's the only ones that could that could get in politically. I hope they do, and I hope they get us out of the EU and put a stop to to the immigration. But you know, I'm not holding my breath for that to happen. And I know, you know, the Bible it says that the, the serpent's got his mouth open, and there's a flood trying to flood the the woman to drown the woman, and that flood is all nations, people, and tongues, and that's what's happening to us. We, we're being flooded with these with all these different races, and you know, we do we deserve this this punishment for what we did to Germany. And we just got to accept that. You know, we've got to accept what we deserve we deserve to be punished for the way that we behave. So what what can you do yourself where you can change the in the way you behave as an individual and you can give as much help as you can to these resistance movements. Uh, but and and know that, that we are saved as, as all Israel is saved. And as Christian identity we are the people that that God chose. He gave us this uh, spirit, the um the breath of life be breathed into us, and we will have this immortal life. And this lifetime will be just a, a blink of an eye. You know, but just don't give in to it. Don't race mix. Don't give in to the, the pornography. Don't give in to the drugs. Don't give in to the alcohol. We have, you know, we can rise above this stuff, and, and we can show that we are good, upstanding members of community to the to the people around us. And we can teach them about our real history and our true history and what it is that guides us and, and gives us our strength. You know, because God gives us our strength. I think he gives me strength. Anyway, I find great strength from from learning all this stuff and, and seeing all this and, and knowing that it's true. It gives, it gives me strength. Having faith gives gives you strength. Our ancestors had a great faith. And look what they could achieve and what they went through. Absolutely. Charles Martel defeated Muslim armies many times the size of his own. Many times. And, and the Battle of Tours, he was severely outnumbered and, and fought the Muslims over a period of 12 or 15 years at, at, at great disadvantages and, and, and defeated them. So, faith... Faith does overcome, and and we can prevail against these aliens. There is a question in the chat asking if whites will ever rise up and fight before the return of the Messiah, basically. And I would say that um, whites will make a stand for themselves, but they won't be able to do it until Babylon falls. That's what the scripture says in Revelation chapter 18. That's what the scripture indicates in Ezekiel, in Micah, and in several other places. So that's my that, that's the best answer I could give. What we need to do, what our endeavor should be, because the only valid the only valid Christian ministry is described in Malachi chapter four. That's the Elijah ministry, which turns which turns hearts of the children 